Mac Power Users, episode 117, Feedback. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. You know, it feels great. We're recording this a Sunday morning. It's uh, nice and uh, temperate weather here in Southern California. Holidays are in the air. I'm doing great. It's uh, almost Christmas. Yeah, it is. It is. It's 80 degrees here. Okay. In fact, I am going out shopping after this for Mrs. Max Barkey. Get her something. I have I have one more person left on my gift list I need to buy for, and I am running out of time and running out of ideas. I don't know what to do. Even though we had that a lot of great feedback on that, that geek gift episode we did last week, this one person left I have to shop on my Christmas list for is not a geek. Yeah, and we have one bit of follow-up on that in this follow-up show, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, I thought that was good follow-up. So. And so the thing about this show is we try to – cover one thing and cover it thoroughly. And at the end, we always have a little time for feedback for prior shows, but we have this feedback that just accumulates. And by the time we finish covering our main topic, sometimes we're already really close to an hour and a half and we're trying to keep the show around that amount of time. So as a result, we don't hit all the feedback we'd like to. So this is kind of blowing out the back, the backed up email. We're going to cover a bunch of the feedback today, and all of this stuff is interesting. We've picked the cream of the feedback, and we're going to be covering it here. So this episode is a little different than normal. We're not going to have one subject. We're going to go over a bunch of them, but I bet you're going to get something fun out of it either way. Yeah, so but why don't- we're going to try to go a little bit more in-depth in the feedback than we do in our you know quick couple-minute reply to the, the feedback that we do in our everyday episodes, right? Yeah, so let's get started. Okay. Well, the, the first bit of feedback we have is about our iPad workflows. And it's something that we, we talk about on, on bits of the shows here and there, depending on the particular topic for that show. But um, David actually wrote in and said, my question revolves around text workflows. I started using NVAlt a few months ago, and I really like it as an access point for my Simple Note database, and it keeps things in sync, and I can access it quickly. But on my iPad, I like other text editors, such as Writeroom. And I remember David talking about how he uses Writeroom, Dropbox, Simple Note, NVAlt. I mean, we have talked extensively about text editors and iPad workflows and Mac workflows for text on the show. And so, David, this seems just like a good point. And the email goes on and asks a bunch of different questions, but I'm going to go ahead and summarize here. This just kind of seems like a good check-in point with both of us to talk about what are we using now today to manage text and writing and all of this miscellaneous stuff. You know, everything that doesn't have its own dedicated system, where is it going on the Mac, on the iPad? How are you syncing it? How are you using it and why? You want to kick that off? Yeah. So kind of a state of the union for text. Yeah. And and everything that doesn't go somewhere else. Okay. So for the longest time, I use Simple Note. And I've talked about it on the show. I had a subscribed account. I may still have a subscribed account. I don't know if it's expired yet. And Simple Note was the, you know, the, the first app really on the phone that I thought did a good job of managing notes with a web-based data service. And I believe that was even before Dropbox had their synchronization tools built into iOS. And I guess I didn't really say that right. Before Dropbox had the tools for iOS developers to add synchronization to their apps, Dropbox is not built into iOS. But either way, uh, so SimpleNote was really a great solution. 
at some point, and then they got combined with NVALT. Well, actually, it was with notational velocity originally before Brett got his hands on it. And so for the longest time, I had notational velocity syncing with Simple Note, and all was good in the world. So I could write text on a computer, on the web, or on my I, my iOS device, and it worked just fine, and it synced across. Um, at some point, I became unsatisfied with Simple Note. Uh, some of it was cosmetic, just the way the app looks. You know, it doesn't give you a lot of control over typography. And some of it was more mechanical in terms of the syncing engine didn't seem as fast. I know that both of those things have improved since I stopped using it. But because I've left, I just, the thing I have now is working. I haven't even looked at going back to using Simple Note. So what I do now is on the Mac, I use NVALT, which is Brett Terpstra's. Um, branch of notational velocity, which is a fantastic application. And I share all that data as individual text files over to Dropbox to a Dropbox folder called, I think, text files. And so anything I write on NVALT, every individual note gets its own text file. So it's very clean that way. It's not a combined database. It's a bunch of little text files. And then on my iPad primarily, but I also do this on the iPhone, uh, I use Write Room, which is just a fantastic text editor, and it looks good, and it syncs really fast. I, I don't know what he's done. Uh, I think this is Jesse Grossjean's app, if, I'm, if memory serves, but I don't know what he's done. The guy's like a wizard, because this thing syncs to Dropbox like nobody's business. So I use that. So that combination of NVALT on the Mac and Write Room on iOS gives me what I call the text bank, and in it... I don't know, there's probably about 800 text notes and they could be anything from snippets of a contract language that I want to use in the day job to um, I've got a, one open right now that I'm taking little notes in so I can make the show notes for the show called, you know, MPUX hyphen 117. I've just got tons of little pieces of text in here. I don't really look at those as um, working projects so much as a text bank where I just keep things like, you know, it's like a storage locker for all these pieces of text. And it's amazing the stuff I can put into text. I, I don't need custom apps to track fuel on my car. I can just write down the mileage in this little text file I keep running or that's as an example. So I've got the text bank. Then the other thing I've got is working text stuff that I'm working, like a brief I'm writing or a post I'm working on or an article I'm writing for Macworld or whatever it is. Um, Each one of those has its own little text file. And I do those in Byword. And I know there's a lot of other great apps out there. Like I'm really impressed lately with writing kit. They're doing some great stuff, but the, um, I just like Byword and it, it works for me and it's got a great app on the Mac and it's got a great app on iOS and it uses iCloud syncing flawlessly. So I mean, I've never lost anything with it. So I sync those things over iCloud. I don't sync those over Dropbox. And so I've got the stuff I'm working on in Byword and I've got the stuff that is just, things I've accumulated in write room on the iOS. And that's generally how I handle text. I, I do a lot of writing that way. And Byword isn't always the final destination for those words. Sometimes they'll get copied into a Scrivener project, or maybe they'll get put in pages if it's something I'm going to print like a contract or, or who knows, or maybe it just gets copied into an email or copied into the web. But you know, the place I actually get the words written for me are primarily Byword with NVALT and Write Room being the text bank. 
Wow. Did I just go on like for like 10 minutes talking about this stuff? It was pretty close. Ugh. <laughs> all right. So of all of the apps you use, I, we only over, overlap in one. So that's pretty okay. good. That's pretty good. So I, I don't use a lot of text the way that you do. And, and my workflow is, is a little bit different. And um, so here's, here's where I put all of these, these bits of data. I am a huge Evernote user. I don't use NVAlt and Evernote is probably my substitution for NVAlt, but I don't dump as much raw text files into Evernote probably as you do. But when I do have these little snippets or these little bits of information that I need to clip and remember, without a doubt, that's where they go for me. That's where they go in Evernote. That's all those little miscellaneous bits of information. And when I'm done with them, when I don't need them anymore, I toss them. I even have a notebook in Evernote that's that's called Temp for stuff that I'm just using for short-term projects. And they go, out they go. You know, some of this stuff I just don't need to save, or if it's something I think I may need to reference again, that's where they go. I I wish Evernote had a little bit better features for formatting text and things, but, but if it's just quick text notes... You don't need that. So that's where I've got, right now I have an Evernote uh, window open right here with edit points. So if we flub something in this podcast and we need to go back and edit it because we try to do these, you know, quote, live to tape as, as much as possible, then we can we can go back and say, okay, this was the time index where we messed that up and, and we can edit that in Evernote. But once the show is edited and published, that's not something that I need to keep. And the beauty about Evernote, we've talked about it extensively in previous shows, it syncs everywhere. It's on the Mac. It's on uh, it's got a PC client that it's on. It's on the iPhone. It's on the iPad. It's on the web. So you can get to your Evernote database from wherever you are. And then I use ByWord for all of my personal writing. So if I'm writing an article for my website, if I'm writing an article, I'm doing some writing for Don McAllister's Screencast Online Monthly Magazine. I do at least one article for him a month now. So all of that goes into ByWord. And I'm loving ByWord because I can start it on my Mac. I can add stuff on my iPhone. I can tweak it on my iPad. And the whole iCloud syncing with ByWord just works. So all of my personal writing stays in ByWord. I'm still using Office for everything work-related because that's how the whole work system is set up. And that is changing a little bit now that, you know, there have been some pretty significant updates to pages that allows you to go back and forth with the track changes. But I don't do a lot of that writing on my iPad anyway. It's just made it a lot easier for me to get documents and make comments and corrections on my iPad and send them back. So I use pages now more for stuff like that, but that's not really in my personal managing text workflow. I, I use that in work a little bit. But but here's the piece that has really changed for me recently, and that is I've started using the Day One app. And I got this idea from Wendy Cherinsky, who was on our show, it's been a couple of months now. But I was really struggling with um, keeping notes of meetings, keeping notes of, of telephone conversations, keeping track of my time and keeping track of my billing. And I was just having trouble figuring out what I was doing in my day. And I knew that I was busy and I knew I was, you know, where do I keep, you know, just instead of scribbling notes on pads of paper and, and shoving them into files, where do they go? So I started using the day one app, not as a personal journal, but instead as a professional journal. And it has worked really, really well for this purpose. So it installs that little menu bar. And if I get a quick phone call, I just pop open that little menu bar, make a note. I have a text expander snippet that starts the start time, text expander snippet that I put the time in again when I end it. And I make notes from the telephone call. And that gets logged into day one. 
if I have a meeting, I can take notes on my iPad or notes on my iPhone, and it will even tag the geolocation of where you are. So if you're in a meeting in the office or out of the office. So I go throughout my entire day with day one, and I'm keeping notes of where I am, what I'm doing, what my conversations are, I'm meeting with clients. And then at every Friday, I block off on my calendar the last hour or hour and a half of the day, depending on what type of week it's been. And I call that my file review. And I either print or PDF or somehow go over with my assistant all of my notes for the week with with day one and figure out exactly what, if anything, we need to do with them. I, you know, we can create billing entries. We can go back and uh, create memos to the file just by copying and pasting and moving them into the file. And maybe that sounds like some duplication of effort, but it's really not that difficult because I've now got one spot that everything's in and I know where I was, how much time I spent on it. And it's it's taking me less than an hour to go back and it's like a, a snapshot and a recreation of my entire week. Well, you know, it's remarkable how much you can recover if you go back within the last few days and just take a look at your calendar because you'll have a meeting with somebody and there'll be a follow-up item for you. And if you're not religious about capturing it right at that moment, a lot of times later you'll find things that you say, oh yeah, I met with that guy and I was going to get him this information and I haven't done that yet. So um, going back and looking at your calendar is a really great idea. I do a similar practice in terms of my Friday afternoon where I review the past week. I don't use day one this way, but you have me uh, intrigued. I mean, it seems like a great way to do it. Um, I've been using day one as a personal journal, and I'm getting pretty consistent about doing it at least every couple days. And the way I've been doing it is with dictation. You know, I, I have a little voice recorder that I keep in my car, and I dictate into it when I drive around, and it's easy to dictate your thoughts into it. And then I use drag and dictate. They have that version three out now. It's really great to dictate the recording and then just drop it into day one. And it does a pretty good job. You know, you have me curious. I mean, I think this would be a, a very useful way to go about your day. I'm going to have to take a look and see if I can do two different day one libraries. I don't know if that's possible because I really don't want to combine them. Yeah. And, and I've never been one for keeping a personal journal, which is why day one never interested me before. But the idea of keeping a professional journal, because all of the older attorneys in, in my firm have these big, thick day books where they keep all of this information. I thought, well, why can't I do this in day one? And I do just that in day one is I, I try to get all of my tasks into OmniFocus, but sometimes I don't. If I'm on a telephone call with somebody, I will make notes in myself, steps for follow-up, um, you know, send a letter to so-and-so. And, and going back through my day one calendar, whether it's at Friday at, and during my follow-up period or whether it's just – sometimes I'll follow up midweek depending on the type of week that I'm having and I'll review everything in day one. Sometimes I'll do it at the end of the day if it's been a particularly hectic day and I'll sit there at the end of the day and I'll dictate off notes to my assistant or I'll send emails off to my assistant or sometimes I'll just send off the entire – day one journal to my assistant because you, you can email or you can PDF and send them the entire thing. And that will just be action points for them to go through and follow up with. Yeah, you can do, I believe they allow you to put tags in now. They have, they have a recent update. I'm going to have to look into this. Maybe there's a way you could combine it into one. I don't know. That That's very intriguing, Katie. I'll check that out. Yeah. So, and, and I've only been doing this for a couple of months, but it's, it's worked. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. 
but I really like having it as a journal. And like you, I've never been one to journal much, but I do find the introspection helpful. You know, a little navel gazing never hurt anybody once in a while. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give that up, but there we go. So uh, the last bit on managing text, because uh, this is just kind of a theme of emails we've got. We've got many emails about, we're just trying to kind of boil it down. Um, I've got several emails about this app that I've talked about a few times on iOS called Drafts, D-R-A-F-T-S. And Drafts is just a really quick text capture mechanism. So you open it up and it's a blank screen and you can tap the record icon. So you can use Siri to record text directly into it, or you can use your fingers and type text in if you want. And when you're done, there's a whole series of actions available to you and it's dependent on what apps you have installed. But for instance, you could hit the send to day one button and it'll send it to day one. I do that all the time. Yeah. Or you could, um, hit the send to buy word and it will send it to buy word or you could say send to email and it'll send it to email um i use this largely with my voice again uh, when i'm you know wandering around or sometimes when i go to lunch um because i've always got a bunch of things banging around my head i want to deal with i'll just open this drafts app and then i'll just start dictating and some of them will be omnifocus entries or some of them will be an outline of something I want to write for the website or some of them will be an email I want to send to a client. So I just kind of knock these out and the people write me often say, well, why do you do it that way? Why don't you just open the mail app, then open OmniFocus app, then open ByWord app and you can use the same tools. It's the same Siri dictation no matter where you're at and then you're already in your location. And it, and the the general comment I get from people is, well, it seems kind of tedious to do it there, then go into the app and then send it off to the proper location. Uh, all I can say is that I'm the point of capture for me is the point of friction is that, you know, getting these things out of my head is the hardest thing for me. So if I've got one app and I can just start cranking through them, and even if I just spend 15 minutes doing it, I'll have a bunch of text in there I can use to get work done. And the thing syncs over to the iPad. They don't have an iOS. I'm sorry. They don't have a Mac app yet. I, that would be cool if they did, but you know, it syncs over the iPad. So I, I usually capture on the phone, but then I'll go back to the office or sit down somewhere and open it up on the iPad. It's already synced over and do all that processing stuff, which for me is just kind of manual labor type stuff. I'm okay with that. Uh, but for the true creative period, I find it best just to use drafts and just knock those things out. I, I, I use it all the time and I agree. It's if you've got the time to go in and, and, and take care of it when you can, that's great. But sometimes it's just all about getting it out of your head and getting it where it needs to go and following up later. Hey, let's talk about a sponsor. I'm very excited about this because we can finally, finally talk about it. And that is one password has released their brand new one password for iOS version four. And I know David, you and I have both been beta testing this and have just been biting our tongue for the last couple of months because I just screeched with joy when I saw some of the new features in one password version four. And and I know that's that's is that sad that I was just so giddy. Yeah, it when is I a little this? sad. It oh. really is. So what are some of your favorite features? All right. Well one password version four is, is an all new app. And they have completely redesigned this from the ground up. Not only is it gorgeous, but they've got some brand new features in there. And and a, a couple of my favorites that will go into more detail in, in, in future spots, I'm sure. But you can now generate passwords from within the app, which is so great for me because now I can sign up for new services on my iPhone or my iPad. And before what I would have to do is I would have to make up a password, copy it, paste it, and put it in one password and then kind of remember to go back and create a new generated password the next time I was at the Mac app. 
because all of my passwords are one password generated passwords. But now you can do that directly from within the app anytime you need to generate a random password. Um, you can also add favorites. So right on the start screen of the one password app, they've got a favorites button. So all of your frequently used passwords for, especially that comes in handy on iOS devices. Like I've got my Apple ID password for when I'm buying stuff from the iOS store. And I've got my bank's password and I've got my Amazon password and I've got passwords that I have to enter frequently on my iPhone in my favorites because it's just easy access to those couple of passwords. And I don't have to go and dig and search for them. But my absolute, absolute favorite feature, and I don't know if you remember, I got in trouble because I kind of let this slip a couple of months ago on the show because I kind of might have might have known that it might be coming, is that attachments now sync to your 1Password database. So this is really cool. I let, let this tip about actual scanning your physical wallet into your 1Password wallet so you could have copies of your insurance card, your credit card front and back, so you'd have all the contact information in case you lost your wallet, your social security card, all that stuff that you carry in your wallet. You can either lighten your wallet so you don't actually carry that stuff or have emergency backups. Well, those images now sync into 1Password, so you can actually pull up those images on your phone. And I'm just kind of waiting for the next time I get pulled over to see if that will fly. Here, officer. So you're, you're actually looking license. forward to that. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just... Yeah. You know, I was I was telling someone the other day, it's, it's very rare for a company that's kind of on top of the industry to just continue to just make this great innovation in these leaps. It's hard not to rest on your laurels when you're on top. And uh, Agile Bits and 1Password, the people behind 1Password, really are that unique quality that they're able to still make something amazing despite the fact they already had a great product. I mean, version 3 was pretty great, I thought, but version 4 really ups the game. And uh, it is a paid upgrade, so if you're going to get it, you got to go buy it. It's $8 as we record this, but it's going to go up to $18, I believe, eventually. So uh, I would recommend getting it now. This is something you're going to want to have on your iOS devices. And uh, these guys did some great work, and I highly recommend going and getting this product. Yeah, go go grab it while it's still on sale. I I, I believe it's currently on sale fifty percent off, but um, go grab it if you've got the Mac App Store version of the um, of the uh, of the app for your um, computer. That will be a free upgrade to version four, and uh, version four for iOS works perfectly with version three for the Mac app. So you don't have to worry about that. Everything is is going to work just great. They've got an extensive FAQ on their website that I suggest you take a look at. Um, and, and that will answer all of your questions and tell you about all of the new features. So you can find more information about this at onepassword.com. And uh, we'll be talking a lot more about OnePassword version 4 in, uh, in the weeks and months to come. So uh, yeah. thank you to OnePassword for your continued support of the show. You know, another uh, theme of feedback we get is a lot of people asking questions about Evernote. Yeah, and it. it it's interesting. And you're the really the Evernote user, and you've talked a little bit about how you're using it now. I've started to use it more as well, and uh, I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, when we did the Evernote show a while back, uh, my big gripe was exporting data. Because, it, you know, you put it, it was like a Roachman would tell you, put it in there, but it was hard to get it out. Um, I think they've made strides in that regard. Um, I think also the applications on iOS and the Mac have become more interesting and more stable. Uh, I haven't really figured out. They have a new version out that you know, and a lot of people seem to be passionate about. The uh, but I use it still to collect 
websites and data and stuff I want to do research on mainly. But you're the real Evernote power user. So Katie, now, you know, it's been a while. Tell us where you are with Evernote now. Evernote's my, really my file cabinet for just about everything. Uh, in fact, let me go ahead and pop open Evernote right now while we're while we're talking. Uh, version 5.0, I think as, as the date we're recording this, they're actually up to version 5.0.4 is what they're using. And it's a bit of a new redesign, so it, it may take some some getting used to. But I've got, I'm keeping just about everything in Evernote. And part of the reason that I'm doing that, as you mentioned, David, is because it's a lot easier now to to export stuff from Evernote. So I'm not so much worried about if, if things should go awry of, of, of things not missing in there. Um, but I've got, I've got notebooks and, and I've got sub notebooks. So I've got notebooks for family and then I've got individual family members in there. I've got notebooks for home stuff that goes from everything for construction issues, manuals, warranties, uh, legal, you know, like deeds and title insurance policies and things like that. Um, I've got Mac Power User notebooks. I have notebooks for various clubs and organizations that I'm a member of. I've got uh, a notebook for right now. I've got a notebook for tax receipts 2012. Um, where everything I scan that is eventually going to go to my accountant when they do my taxes this year that could potentially be a business expense write-off uh, gets scanned and, oh, okay. and goes in so, there. Let me interrupt just for a minute. Okay. So I get it. You've got all these notebooks. Yes. How do you every day use them? I mean, what, how do you capture data? Okay, that's a, that's a good question because we actually got that question direct from Ben because he says he's, he's forwarding. One of the ways that I do it – I get a lot of my receipts via email, right? Because I buy a lot of stuff online. So no need to scan a lot of the stuff. One of the ways we do it is you, you scan stuff through the ScanSnap or or whatever, and and you've got that. But um, if you've already got this receipt in some kind of electronic format, there's there's no need to double your work by printing it and scanning it or getting the receipt out of the box and scan it. Um, so one of the things I do is I end up forwarding a lot of emails to Evernote. And... Um, Sometimes what you can do is you can create a, a rule to forward things to Evernote. You know, for example, certain things that come from the iTunes store um, that have a certain uh, a keyword in it that relates to an, an app download, um, I have it automatically forwarding to Evernote. Unfortunately, the rules in, in Mail. because what you can do is in the in the Evernote web interface, you can set up a special email address that anything you forward to that email address will go into your default Evernote folder. And in my case, I have a folder called Inbox. That's my default folder, which basically means this is a folder that I need to go through and organize. Um, unfortunately, when you're when you're forwarding from mail.app, you can't change the subject. It's just a straightforward. But if you forward it yourself, um, there's a link we can put into the show notes. I use a text expander snippet. Um, and I got this tip directly off the text expander blog. But if you send an, an email to your Evernote email address, I've got a text expander snippet that if you put the at symbol in the name of the notebook and then you put the sound pound sign will be um, tagged. So, for example, I'll put um, the subject of any tax receipts that I forward is I use the date and then I do a description and then I do at 2012 tax receipts because that's the name of the notebook and then I'll do pound symbol, and I'll do whatever tags I need to do that, that tag it in, in whatever category. So I've got a text expander snippet that will automatically fill in um, today's date, a blank for me to put in a description of it, um, and at the name of the, the tax receipt notebook, 
and then I can add whatever tags I want to the end of it. Okay. So you're really using it in lieu of what I would call the nested folder system. You're sending your documents to Evernote. Correct. Yeah. And the advantage of that is they get the OCR done right there. So the text recognition is done. Uh, another advantage is they're available on all your devices because it's all your, everything is plugged into your Evernote account. Uh, disadvantages, it's all in the cloud. I guess that's a security concern for some people. Yeah, but, but it depends on what you're putting up there. I'll tell you, I don't have my tax returns in Evernote. The um, the interesting thing is that the the barrier to using this methodology before was Evernote itself, where it was still not fully baked, in my opinion. Whereas now it seems like they've had a couple of years and they've really got a lot of the, the kinks worked out. And they seem to have no trouble at all managing lots of data for users. Um, and then the other way that I get things into, into Evernote uh, besides scanning is I do a lot of, you know, quote unquote scanning with my iPhone because the iPhone's camera now is, is really good. And um, for example, I think Chuck wrote us and asked, you know, I've got this issue where I want to scan all of my travel receipts and at the end of the month, send a PDF email for all of my expenses um, and he's using Evernote for that. And, you know, that works just fine. You can you can scan your receipts in and, and PDF them and Evernote will allow you to export them. But if you, depending on the settings that you have, the, the problem that Chuck was running into is that the file was too big to, to email to his bookkeeper. Well, there's some specialized scanning apps that you can use on the iPhone that will optimize these receipts. I mean, especially if you're truly scanning a receipt, like from a meal that you had, I mean, these don't have to be three megabyte documents. You know, you don't have to scan them at super high resolution. You just need good enough resolution that you've got an appropriate scan that your bookkeeping department or whoever is is going to accept. And yeah. the app that I'm using for that is I'm using Scanner Pro because it will do some optimization within the app that you can take a picture, whether it's a full-size piece of paper or whether it's just like a small cash register receipt and it will give you some grids to let you line it up and it will do some auto detection to find the edges and it will de-skew it. And I find that it produces a smaller, cleaner scan, if that makes sense. Yeah. I use Scanner Pro too. Yeah. Yeah. Of whatever you're trying to scan. And the current version now has automatic sync to Dropbox and or Evernote. So yeah, and one can, of the great advantages of this with Dropbox, because in contrast, I'm using more of a Dropbox-based nested folder system, is that it remembers your folder. So where I have an action folder on Dropbox, it always goes there because that's the place I always send these scans. Right, and see, I have a I have a Scanner Pro. Um, it could either go into my inbox or it could go into my Scanner Pro receipts um, in Evernote, and I can either organize it from my inbox. Or I can manually scan it if before I go on a trip, I make a I make a, a notebook for that specific trip, and I'll I'll send all of those receipts to that notebook. Yeah, makes sense. And deal with them when I get back. Well, my my use of Evernote is not as deep as yours is. Uh, so when I'm going through the web and I find interesting articles about things, I want to keep as a research file. I just save it to Evernote, and I I've got the the little. Um, I think, was it a JavaScript applet they've built in for Safari? You install it, but it does a great job. It's released by Evernote. And when you tap on it, it looks at the article and actually tries to figure out which notebook it belongs in. So 
Um, like I have a collection of articles that where people talk about the paperless book and usually it has the word paperless in it. And inevitably Evernote's going to realize that, Hey, this is something he wants to put in his Evernote, uh, paperless folder. So, uh, I don't use it nearly as deep as you do. I think I still find it a great solution for travel day. So whenever I travel anywhere, I have an Evernote folder with my boarding passes and hotel reservations and notes for clients or whatever I'm doing on this trip. So it's nice having all that in one place. I could do that in Dropbox, but uh, I prefer to do that type of stuff in Evernote. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've used it a lot just with everyday around the house stuff and uh, home improvement projects and and whatever. I've, I've got all my manuals scanned. I've got information about the various paint colors on the wall scanned. My my mom used to to walk around um, for, for years. She was doing renovations. They have an older home and they've kind of been in the progress of, of renovating one room and after another, after another, after another. So kind of for the past 10 years, they've always either had a project going or a project that they were going to be starting, if that makes sense. Yeah. And my mom just has this huge purse and inside it, she would have like, this is the paint color of my kitchen. This is the paint color of my bedroom. This is a a sample of my wood floor. This is a sample of the carpet. This is a, you know, and I just looked at her. I was like, this is hysterical. I mean, it's like you've got this bag of stuff because at any given time you may be at a store and need to see what goes with with what. And I I get while that's important um, to have physical samples of things, but I've got all that stuff in Evernote. I've got, you know, the the pictures of the paint cans, the paint chips, the the name of the crown molding and and all of that, the dimensions of my furniture, you know, all of that stuff is in Evernote. Yeah, and see, and I I'm satisfied doing that stuff generally with these text files that I have. Um, I don't have enough of a need to do something more than text for this stuff. And I guess when it gets to the point that I do need that. Um, Evernote's probably where I'll end up going for this thing. But, you know, for a long time I used Yojimbo, but I, I don't really even use that anymore. For, for now, just a text file with a list of, you know, details about the house that I need when I'm at Home Depot is just fine. So yeah. I, I guess that each one of us has our own way of doing these things. And the, the follow-up point on this is there's a lot of feedback that comes in asking about these nested folder file systems. And I'm generally in favor of those. Um, I don't keep the stuff on Evernote. I keep it more on these nested folders. And the downside of that is that I have to have everything on Dropbox if I want to share it with other devices. And like you, Taxes, as an example, is a nested folder that resides on my home drive of my main computer and doesn't get shared to Dropbox. But by and large, most of my stuff is in these nested folders in Dropbox, and I can access it through the Dropbox app, which, by the way, just got a really nice update. Um, I don't know if you've played with it yet. Yeah, I have. Uh, you can you can now create folders and and do some other things with the app. Yeah, so I uh, I I prefer those nested folders because, and I guess the big advantage for me is I love the application independence and just general idea that this stuff is is not tied to any one vendor. And I understand with Evernote you can get the stuff out, and generally they keep the data in a way that you can export and have no problem. But uh, with these nested folders, I really feel future-proof. And in the past, I've been bitten or I've tied into one of these proprietary apps for keeping some kind of data that's important to me. And either they stopped developing it or they developed it in a direction where I was no longer happy with it. 
and I face this problem of what am I going to do with all this great information in this app that I no longer want to use or no longer can use? And how am I going to get that somewhere else? And it just drives me nuts that I have to spend any time at all making that transition. And that's what has turned me into such an avid user of nested folders and plain text files, because I know that stuff will never bite me that way. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I do think in terms of Evernote, whereas I was kind of against it at the beginning, um, you know, actually I was initially really excited about it, but then it, I just wasn't didn't feel like they were delivering. But now I think they are delivering. It's just a question of, do I want to get comfortable enough with it to use it? And is the system I'm using not working? And if it's working, which it is, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time in Evernote, although I, I do like it now. I think it, I wouldn't, you know, when I get the emails from people saying, you know, you're not getting it, you need to use Evernote. I do get it. And I think it's great. And if it works for you, go nuts. But I'm just still not, uh, you know, an everyday user like that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about syncing. But before we do, uh, let, let's, let's take a break and talk about a, our next sponsor. And that is Pixelmator. And I'm excited because there has been a price drop with Pixelmator. And if you thought Pixelmator was a bargain at $30 for $29.99, it is uh, down to $14.99 now. And I don't know why anybody wouldn't pick this up who does any type of editing with their photos whatsoever. It's completely nuts. I as soon as that price drop went in, I emailed off to like everybody I know that owns a Mac and just said, "Just buy this. I'll explain to you why later." Yeah. So it's, it's, Pixelmator it's has been one of my most used apps recently, and and I admit I was someone who came from a little bit of graphic design background. That was what I did all through college. That was one of my jobs that I I used to to work my way through law school. I had the Adobe uh, the other suites. I had the the high end products. And when I lost access to those jobs, I lost access to those programs. And I always wondered, was I going to be able to get by with one of these other types of apps that wasn't a high-end photo editing program? And I have just been so pleasantly surprised um, that the answer to that is yes, because Pixelmator is an easy-to-use, full-fledged, image editing program that can let me do just about anything that I want to do with my images. A whole lot of things that I'm still learning that I can do with my images because Pixelmator has some great tutorials on their website. Um, and I just really don't find myself lacking uh, any any type of features. And it's such a lightweight program. You know, grab it from the Mac App Store and you don't have to worry about keeping these CDs and all this big bloated software. I've been using it extensively, um, still working on this this big family slide scanning project and and tweaking and de-aging all of these these photos that's probably going to take me the rest of my life to do. But Pixelmator has been my app of choice for going through and getting all this stuff done. Yeah, it's a great company. And this product really takes advantage of the Mac. You know, it's got the stuff in there to work off the Mac's uh, graphic processing unit. So it, it works very quickly. It's very efficient. And like you said, the tutorials are really remarkable. So even if you feel like you're not a graphics design background person, but you want to make better photos, you should check this out. And it will plug right into iPhoto or Aperture so you can use it as an external editor. Uh, these guys did a great job. Uh, this is the last ad on this run for them. We've had them with us all year. We just love their product. And please go check it out. And with this new price cut, it's it's really a great gift to get someone that gets a new Mac in your life for Christmas. 
Yeah, that's a great thing. Someone you know who's getting a new Mac or who wants to do something for the holidays, they've got some time off with their photos, give them the gift of Pixelmator. There, I think there's that option where you can uh, either gift somebody an app direct from the App Store or give them a gift card for the value of an app and say, go go grab this app. So um, check it out. It's available um, on the App Store. You can find more information at Pixelmator.com. Uh, and if you have bought it or if you buy it for somebody else or you're thinking about it, uh, be sure to let them know that that we sent you and that their uh, support of the show is is working. So uh, thanks to Pixelmator for, for their continued support of Mac Power users. Hey, let's talk about some utilities because that's another common theme in the email. Okay. Everybody's writing in about their favorite utilities. Uh, and one of them was a common question we get is about 1Password and the iTunes password because I am – dead set against these making simple iTunes passwords. It's, you know, it's a very important password in your life. Uh, you could, someone who gets it could spend a lot of your money and, you know, Apple doesn't really make this easy for us because, you know, you have to type it in so often. And I understand why you do. I, mean, I guess there's really not a solution. There's really, I'm not sure I can blame Apple for it because they want you to type the password in frequently, but, at the same time, it, that encourages you to make a simple password that's easy to remember, and that is very unsecure. So what I would recommend is using 1Password for it. And the question always becomes, well, how do you do that? Do you open 1Password every time and then drill for your iTunes password and copy and paste? Well, that got a little easy with version 4, right? Yeah, I I actually wrote an article about this in uh in Don's Screencast Online Monthly Mag. I think it was in the December issue, so I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out. I was guilty of this for a long time, David. My my iTunes iCloud password was my last bad password. It was the the last password that was the one that I made up myself and was I I don't want to say it was insecure because I gave some some thought to it and, you know, did all the things you were supposed to do to make a good password. But, you know, it's so easy to make that a bad password because it's something that you have to enter on an iPhone over and over and over again. Yeah. And if you've got a family and you're sharing an account, it's even, even worse because then you've got even more pressure not to have the super password because, you know, the other members of your family may not be as geeky as you and not appreciate that. Yeah. Um, But to answer your question, that's, that's exactly what I did is, it became a little easier when when iOS version 6 came out because now you don't have to enter that password for everything. I think you just have to enter it now when you're when you're buying apps or doing in-app purchases and you do have to enter it now even if you're buying a free app, but that's okay. Um so you don't but the big thing now is you don't have to do it for when you um do updates. So that was when I was most running into it. So yeah, that's that's what I've done is I've I've gone in and I made this a super strong secure password with one password and it's it's a little little extra time one thing that I have to do as I go in. I did add it to my favorites in version 4 so that makes it a lot easier and I do I do copy and paste it. But that's, you know, one password can autofill in things that are in web browsers, but it can autofill in things that are not in web browsers, like mail application passwords and these iTunes passwords and and things like that. That's just they don't have the the hooks into the system to um, due to the sandboxing restrictions to be able to autofill those passwords. So, yeah, I, I get that it's a little bit of an inconvenience, but given the really, really, really bad things that can happen if someone gets a hold of your Apple ID password, as we've previously seen with the whole epic Matt Hahn incident, 
I, I just think this has to be a really good password. Agreed. So I I don't really have a good answer for you in terms of doing it quickly, but if you save first, make a good iTunes password, then save it to one password as a favorite. So when you're on your iOS, you can load it up and quickly access it and then copy and paste. It's, it's not that much extra work. And once it's in there, you're good for a while. And I, I don't even know how long that lasts, but once I put the password in, I know that for as long as I'm going to be in there buying stuff, it's going to be working. You can actually change that in settings. You can set how long that's good for. That's good. Yeah. Well, whatever it's set for, it's just fine for me. So you're only going to do it once every time you go in to buy stuff and uh, just kind of put that all together. But I think the default is around 10 or 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah. But don't use that as an excuse not to use one password to make one of these passwords. It's, it's not worth it. And if you do get hacked, you're going to really be kicking yourself. Yeah. A couple other utility-related things. A Daisy Disk is an app we, we like to talk about. They were a sponsor at one point, and I still love and use their app all the time. And we had talked about in feedback in the past how it's difficult to get into the uh, the root drive with Daisy Disk. And, uh, and that's in particular if you bought the Mac App Store version because, you know, I, I'm guessing the sandboxing rules prevent them from putting that in there. Right. So some people want to go buy it from the web instead. And that's fine. Uh, you can do yeah, that too. Yeah. Luca wrote in and had a really great idea where she goes to the terminal and types in a pseudo command. And I don't know if we should do that. I guess we can do it on the show. Pseudo slash application slash daisy disc dot app slash contents slash Mac OS slash daisy disc. It's, so if you, if you dig, drill down deep enough, you can get to it. So you can run it from the terminal. And then, and then you have access to things in other user accounts and to the root level. Exactly. Yeah. And you can just Google for that. And, and if we can, I think we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think there's a Google post to that. Anyway, I thought it was clever. And it's interesting that you can do that with a Mac App Store app. Yeah. So that I could see uses for that on several levels. All right. Uh, we had several people write in that just, I think we talked about this in our troubleshooting episode, or or rather we didn't talk about it as the, what are the various troubleshooting steps that we walk through when we're having trouble with our Mac. And Erica wrote in and said, one of my favorite troubleshooting steps is when a Mac is having a problem, open the console, see what's going on, and then Google it. Yeah, you know, I smacked my forehead when that came in. Yeah, I do that. I, I don't know why we didn't talk about it in the episode. Mea culpa. Yeah, even if you're not a a quote unquote power user, uh, it could be intimidating to think about this console. I mean, what is this this magic terminal into your Mac's brain? It's not. Just open Spotlight or LaunchBar or Alfred or whatever your launcher of choice is. Type in console and just look at it, and you'll see all this stuff is flying by. And when things start going wrong, you'll get some really useful messages there. In fact, if you go in an, an Apple Store, that's one of the first things you'll see them do is they'll open the console. And then I've had a bunch of people write me and ask, why do you have an external keyboard and mouse for your Mac Mini? You know, I talk about how I've got this server, this Mac Mini that I use as a home server connected to my TV via HDMI, but I've got this Magic Trackpad and and Bluetooth mouse, or sorry, Bluetooth keyboard that I keep so that I can reboot it and do other things. And people say, why don't you just do that through file sharing or, or, I'm sorry, through screen sharing or remote desktop or something like that? And and I will tell you that probably 80 plus percent of the time, that is how I control that Mac is through some kind of sharing. I use, um, if I'm just laying on the couch, a lot of the time I'll use the Screens app on my iPad as a, as a way to control that Mac. 
I, I use that probably more often than anything. Um, or I'll use back to my Mac on the, the Mac that's sitting in my office and I'll control it that way. That's usually how I do software updates and and access it. But there's one fatal flaw with trying to remote access into a Mac and that is if the Mac has File Vault enabled, this new File Vault that locks down and encrypts the hard drive, um, you know, really before the hard drive truly boots up. And so the problem that I run into is when I reboot the Mac, I cannot enter my password to unlock and decrypt that hard drive via remote access. It has to be done by a keyboard that is attached either directly or via Bluetooth to that Mac because the Mac doesn't get far enough into the boot process to access it via remote access yet to be, de- you know, it hasn't decrypted itself enough to get to that point. So that is that is the one time when I, I need to have a keyboard there is when I reboot it so that I can. And, you know, honestly, I don't know that I really need File Vault on that Mac because I don't store much data locally on that Mac and it is a it is a home machine and I guess if somebody stole it they would still have to get past my main password and you know what would they get access to is just some applications and really not much data. So I you know I, I will have to go back and rethink the pros and cons of do I really need File Vault enabled on that Mac. And now are you still happy with having I guess what you'd call your home server with this Mac mini? I am. I am. It just gives me a lot of extra flexibility. You know, I like I'm going to use it this afternoon to watch a, a TV show on Hulu because I there, there you know, I, I cut my cable a couple of weeks, oh, a couple of oh gosh, it's been over a year now. And there are just a, a few TV shows like on the USA Network that I watch. And for whatever reason, I would pay for Hulu Plus, but it's not available on Hulu Plus. So, yeah, that's one thing I'm going to do on it is I'm going to catch up on a couple of shows on on Hulu connected to the Mac Mini. I've got email rules that are running off of it because my my main Mac is a MacBook Air. And a lot of the times it's asleep or in a bag or closed or with me off and about. Um, it it pretty much runs all of my backups because it's it's connected to CrashPlan, which is connected to my Drobo. I, I mean, for 500 bucks, that was a great investment. Absolutely. If it... If it died tomorrow, I'd 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 replace it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I love the Apple TV. I I still haven't really found a good reason to have a separate one attached to my TV, but I do have a separate Mac running. However, I'm increasingly finding other solutions where I'm not running rules on my Mac, and we'll talk this about this a little bit with the with respect to Omni later in the Omni spot. But there's a way now in Omni Group to email uh, email. Uh, tasks essentially to your OmniFocus library. And some of these web-based mail services, I think, are really improving to the extent where I'm not sure I'm going to be using the uh, Apple Mail rules. Uh, we'll see. But uh, and, and I'll tell you, if if my main machine was an iMac at home, if I had an iMac sitting on my desk at home instead of a MacBook Air, I probably wouldn't need it. Yeah. With With the technology that we currently have in place today, I could probably do everything I want to do with an iMac sitting on my desk being on all the time and not need my Mac mini. But with my current setup, with my primary machine being a laptop, I I really like having another Mac on doing all my stuff. No, I get it. I get it. Um, Hey, uh, Dropbox, uh, 
and now it gives the ability to upload pictures. And when we did the show, both we did a show kind of on syncing a while ago, and we also did a show with Derek Story on photography. Um, one thing we really didn't cover in great depth was Dropbox picture syncing, and we got several emails about that. Have you played with that much? I've played with it a little, um, but I, I, want, I want you while we're on this topic, remind me to circle back around to it. I want you to talk to me a little bit more about the iFi because I saw on Twitter you were playing with that a little bit. Yeah. But I I can see a place for this because maybe, maybe for travel, but I don't know why I would – I tried this and I've used it before. I mainly used it during the beta period to get extra space in my – Dropbox uh, because you could bump up above even your your paid level. I don't know why I just like having the the extra space, but um, you know iCloud the uh, photo streaming does most of this for me. Yeah, and that's the exact reaction I had too. I I turned it on and kept it going for about a month, and it was great. It was loading pictures. So so just give you a yeah, description. Yeah, let's talk about what it does. Yeah, if you want, you can have Dropbox sync the pictures from your iOS device through a Dropbox folder. So then it's available with all your devices. And I know a lot of people that are really excited about this and they're using it in lieu of photo streaming. Right. And they're very happy with it, but I've just been pretty happy with the photo stream service in general. I, I like that, you know, now in iOS six, we have these shared libraries. We just had a family event yesterday and this morning I, you know, cleaned up the pictures they were all in my photo stream. I sent it out as a custom photo stream sharing library. Now, several of my family members have already signed into it because we're all, you know, basically Apple fanatics anyway. So uh, they've all got access to the pictures and it works just fine. So Dropbox for me, the photo syncing thing was kind of a solution in search of a problem. I, th- I think this works a lot better in setups if everybody is not on or in the whole Apple ecosystem and does not, is not on iOS. Is it iOS 6 that photos sync? It, well, it's certainly Mountain Lion, and I yeah. think it's iOS 6. So if you're not fully up to date with Mountain Lion and iOS 6, and if you're not all Apple nerds, and if you don't all have photo syncing, uh, photo stream available, then this makes a lot of sense because this replaces photo stream. Yeah. But if your entire family does, then I don't know why you wouldn't use that. But I do well, definitely see a place for it. If you don't have photo stream, I was trying to think of whether there would be a place for this. Yeah. I'm going to Alaska for two weeks next summer. Well, July, six months, six months from now, I'm going to Alaska for two weeks and I, and I want to go iPad only. I'm not going to take my Mac, but I want to take a ton of pictures and I, I, I'm going to take a a big memory card. Not what I want to try to avoid is taking a whole bunch of memory cards. So what I want to do is I want to take a whole bunch of pictures, load up my memory card, plug it into an iOS device and offload my pictures somewhere to the cloud, to Dropbox, to photo, uh, to photo stream. So that if anything should happen, I want my pictures backed up. And I was just trying to decide, would this be something that would be an extra belt and suspenders for me or, or would, would photo syncing give me everything that I need or photo stream, give me everything I need. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's another solution, and we should have mentioned it in the show. And I think really going back and listening to the show with Derek, we did a really good job of getting people started. But I think there may be another photo show in us in the not-too-distant future of more advanced stuff. 
I mean, it's just, there's just so much to talk about on this, but Dropbox syncing is definitely something you should consider and just see what works for you. I don't have anything to say against it. I just, I like using the photo stream. Now I'll tell you where I am using Dropbox and, and I saw on Twitter, you were experimenting with this too. I recently got one of these iFi cards Yeah. and this is my first experiment with it. I've got one of these four gigabyte iFi cards and I, I've got it set up. I've uh, again, another use for my Mac mini. I don't like having all the software running on my MacBook air. So I've got the iFi software running in the background on my Mac mini. And what happens is when my camera comes back with the card in it, Onto my, I, I went out, it was my grandfather's 80th birthday. So we took a bunch of pictures at his 80th birthday party. I came back home. And as soon as I came back home, my iFi camera card got on my wireless network. It detected that the iFi software was running on my Mac mini and my Mac mini sucked down all of the pictures into from my camera card. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And now what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to um, download all the pictures into this particular folder. And what I did is I told it to download them into a Dropbox folder, which then synced to all of my devices. And then I went a step further and I set up a Hazel rule to watch that Dropbox folder. And once photos were downloaded into that Dropbox folder, import those photos into iPhoto because that's how I manage all my photos. I'm sure you could also set that Hazel rule just as easily to import them into Aperture. And then this may be a bad idea, but whatever. Once the photos were successfully imported, then deleted the photos because I didn't need duplicate copies of them. And it, it specifically put them into an album that I called, I don't remember what I called it, iFi or Dropbox or, or something like that, so that I know that these were images that were, were pulled off of my, my camera card. Yeah. You know, I, we didn't have this in the outline, so we didn't. I'm, I'm off, sorry. I, I'm I, off the reservation a little I, bit, but I threw you under the bus there. So I, I did, um, for a variety of reasons where my daughter's doing some traveling and, you know, she's really into photography wants to shoot high definition video. And she's been talking about getting a, um, an SLR camera for some time. And we do have an SLR camera. It's the, I call it the big boy. It's a, um, Canon Rebel. It's not, you know, it's not a super fancy, but I, I've had it five years or so, maybe longer. And it takes nice pictures. And the long and short of it is we, we're in the process of selling that camera and the lenses I have for it. And we bought one of these Olympus PL5s. It's a very small micro four thirds camera. It takes really good pictures. And so we're kind of downgrading our camera. Um, downgrading is probably not the right word. It, it's just a new camera that's not as big as a as a you know mirror-based SLR, and I, I really love it. It's a great camera, and I didn't really expect to talk about it today. But either way, it uses the SD slot instead of the um, the um, what is it? The CF cards, I think. Compact flash, it. right? Yeah, yeah, the, the big ones. So I said, well, this is great. This gives me a chance to be kind of geeky and buy an iFi card. So I bought an iFi card, and I got the the good one that you know the pro one that does raw images as well, and it shares images over to the iPad. So the way it works is I don't have it syncing to my Macs. I actually have it syncing to the iPad. So when I'm out, like when we were at the family event the other day at my sister's home, we I had the iPad there turned on. And as I was shooting pictures, they were showing up on the nice, big, gorgeous Retina iPad screen. And we were able to kind of see the ones we like and don't like right there. And then I exported the ones I, I wanted from that application over to the Photos app. And... So then it went, then automatically it went through PhotoSync and it started showing up, you know, through iCloud everywhere else. 
So I'm really liking it. So on your trip, that may be a solution for you is to use the iFi card to wirelessly beam them over to the iPad and then go from there. Actually, if you're going to be on a cruise ship, though, are you, you said you're going to be on a cruise ship or are you going yeah, to be on the land? It's, it's half cruise, half land. So, so you're not going to have much internet access anyway. So it's basically going to stay on your iPad until you get to Wi-Fi somewhere. Right. But that's a solution. I'm not sure if it really is that much better than just bringing the connector to the SD card reader. But it's, you know, it's kind of geeky. And, of course, we all like those things. And it's supposed to do be doing a, um, a geo. You know, it's supposed to be able to find out where you're at generally using the Wi-Fi signal. And for some reason, I'm not getting that data yet on the iPad. And once again, I'm, I'm just not ready to talk about it because I need to research it more. And I don't want to be turning the Mac power users into my troubleshooting show. <laughs> but uh, uh, for some reason, I'm not getting the geo data on that card yet. So that, that'd that be a nice advantage if it worked. But I'm sure I'll figure it out. And when I do, I'll write a post on it. Yeah. Uh, overall, I'd have to say the iFi experience wasn't a great one. I mean, the software was the kind software of The software's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find uh, I saw someone on Twitter recommended alternate software. Are you are you testing alternate software that yes. you're going to tell us about? Yeah, and I I don't have my iPad in the room where I'm recording and I I definitely did use it. Jeff Carlson, who's a really smart guy. In fact, Glenn talked about him last week and uh, Jeff's a friend and he tweeted me. Now if I could just find the application he told me to buy, it wasn't cheap. It was, I think it was like $15, but it does a better job of syncing with the iFi card than the iFi software does. And I don't know what the name of it is. We'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes and we'll, we'll, add, we'll you know, we'll, we'll do that updated photography show before I go to Alaska. Yeah. How's <laughs> that? Cause I need help. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll do that. That will be very self-serving. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Talk for a minute about something, Katie, and I will look up this app. Talk for a minute about something. Um, we, we got an email from Riley about wanting to use a more Dropbox-like system with iCloud. And I, I wanted to mention this, but it scares me. So Riley was talking about our, you know, your preference. And it, it kind of is one of my preferences, too. I get it. For organizing files by topic in a nested file system. But this is a problem for applications that use iCloud for syncing. And he wanted to know if it would be a good solution to create an alias of the iCloud file, because there is a little hack where you can go into the users, library, mobile documents folder and kind of see the the, the file structure of, of how iCloud works. And I, I guess my answer to that would be do at your own risk. Yeah, you know, they they build that in a way that you're not supposed to be able to go in there and fiddle. Yeah. That just yeah. really scares me. Really yeah. scares me. And I get that we as power users don't like that we can't get in and tweak and, and turn the knobs and change things with iCloud. I, I think the solution to that is if you really want a nested folder system, use Dropbox. And if you just want all your stuff to sync back and forth, use iCloud. Yeah. I, I think you are kind of asking for trouble. Yeah. But hey, good luck. All right. Did you find that? Or we can just stick it in the show notes if you have yeah, a comment. Yeah, I will. I, will. I give up. I give up. Okay. It's a great app. All right. <laughs> the mystery app. Yeah. Um, well, let's, why don't we take a quick break and talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is the Omni Group. Um, and specifically, Omni wanted us to talk about they've got something new cooked up for Macworld 2013 this year. 
And this is kind of like having your own personal Omni guru walk you through how to set up your Omni focus. And this might be something that I take advantage of because a lot of people have written us and I know written you in particular, David, and said how helpful your screencasts have been and how they really want to get into OmniFocus and the whole GTD thing, but they're having trouble getting started or they're having problems with their setup and maybe they just can't quite figure out how to get things organized or how to get something that will, will work quite right for them. And Omni's kind of doing, uh, I, I guess for they're calling it the OmniFocus setup, but it's it's really designed to be a full day workshop or a full day worth of one-on-one learning sessions um, to help people figure out how to set up their their OmniFocus database for the maximum possible use. It's really an OmniFocus love fest. It's okay. going to be great. So okay. if you're going to be in San Francisco near MacWorld, um, I don't even know that they've announced yet exactly where they're going to do it. But it's going to be in the neighborhood, and it's going to be kind of like a mini user conference. And there's going to be tons of help there. I'm going to be speaking at it. Some other really smart people are going to be speaking at it. I'm not sure how much of this is public yet, but hey. Well, they've got, they've got a web page. You can go to yeah. omnigroup.com slash the setup, and, and there's a panel of experts who are going to be talking about it. Yeah. And um, Kurush Dini is going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. T- uh, Tim Stringer is going to be there. He's a, he's a friend of the show. A lot of people yeah. we know are going to be there. Yeah, so uh, I think Sven Sven Fechner is coming too. That's right, Sven Fechner is coming. So it and and yours truly. So it's going to be fun, and there's going to be a lot to learn. And if you're an OmniFocus user, and you're near MacWorld, you should go check it out. Now, if you're not going to MacWorld, there's something else to share about OmniFocus that I think is really special. Uh, they've been working on this service, and now it's in open beta. You can sign up for it. I'm not sure it's open beta. You, you sign up for it and then you'll get an invite depending on traffic, but definitely go check it out. I mean, it's out in the wild now and it's this new service where they call it the, um, what is the exact word here? The OmniFocus mail drop. So if you're syncing your OmniFocus database through OmniFocus and you get something in the mail and you want to add it to your OmniFocus inbox before the only way to do that is like Katie to have a Mac running at home with an email rule that would see that email when you forwarded it to yourself with the special incantation in the subject line and it would put it in OmniFocus for you. So, and then that would get synced through your database. So it, it took a lot of moving parts. Uh, now they've got a thing where you just forward a mail to a special email address they give you tied to your OmniFocus library, and it just gets added to your inbox. It's that simple. Have you have you played with this, Katie? It's just magical. It's, it's yeah. like the bounce thing. It's great. They gave it to me um, like a couple months ago when they were planning to you know work on it. I was the guinea pig for some of it. And I, it's been killing me that I couldn't tell people about it because it's just so wonderful. So if you're an OmniFocus user, go check it out. I wrote it up. I'll put a link with all the necessary uh, links in the show notes so you can go see it. But this is a, a game changer if you're using OmniFocus. Yeah, OmniFocus has got some really smart things going on, and they're continuing to innovate. And I'm really curious about this OmniFocus setup thing. So maybe they can straighten some of my issues out. Yeah. So uh, – Hopefully we'll see you at Macworld and uh, both Katie and I are going to be there by the way. Yeah. And also hopefully you'll go check out this uh, great tool for using OmniFocus. And if you haven't used OmniFocus yet, shame on you. It's a great application. It's going to let you get things done faster. I've got some screencasts I did on it. We're going to put those in the show notes. You can get it for the Mac, for the iOS, for your iPad or iPhone. And it's a great way to keep everything running. 
All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about backup because we're still getting lots of we've done two, three backup shows now. No, at least two, at least two. Um, But we're getting lots of emails from people about how can they back up their data better. So uh, we got an email uh, from Russell who says, I'm looking at purchasing two Drobos, putting one at the office, one at home, and then having them automatically and continuously back up to each other. Work data stored offsite at home, home data stored offsite at work. And I suspect this might be easier to do with two Mac Mini servers, but haven't researched it yet. What do I do? Um, Okay. I mean, we can talk a whole lot about backup, and and, uh, I I have a whole lot to talk about about this. Um, The first thing I want to mention is there is a new Kickstarter project on this thing called the Transporter. And we can't talk too much about it because David and I are both in the beta. But we'll we'll put a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes, and you might want to check that out because that might solve this problem. Do you think the Kickstarter might so that the yeah, transporter no, it's, might it's a great might idea. fix that I mean, issue? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a technology that lets you basically plug into an Ethernet jack somewhere else right. and have access to that from your computer. So it's essentially it's ideal for offsite storage. It does a lot of other things too, but I think for offsite storage it's a it's a fantastic solution. Yeah, and so there's all kind of information on the Kickstarter page and and so check that out and and see the kind of interesting things that that they're up to and if if that might work for you. But but going back to your your question, certainly what you're what you're proposing will work. What you can also do is is you can also use a service like CrashPlan to do what you're proposing because this is exactly kind of how how I use CrashPlan. I don't know that you need a Mac mini server to do what you're trying to do. I, I think any computer will work just fine. Um, if you want to use a Drobo to do this, that makes a lot of sense because you've got, you know, a big pot of storage with redundant hard drives in it. Yeah, that's the advantage of the Drobo is you've got two copies of it at home and two copies at work. So if you have a drive failure, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. Um I've had a I've had a lot of people ask me about how I use CrashPlan with my Mac Mini because I've talked about how I have this Drobo FS and the Drobo FS just I, I guess the word would be off the shelf maybe doesn't isn't seen by CrashPlan so if you just have a Drobo FS connected to your network and you you're turning CrashPlan on on one of your Macs CrashPlan isn't going to see the Drobo it's not going to see the Drobo to either back information up off the Drobo FS into the crash plan crowd. If you've got like the crash plan plus storage plan, nor is it going to see the Drobo as the Drobo FS as a source to backup data to. And so there's a, there's a workaround. There's always a workaround. Now it will, if it's a direct connected Drobo. So if you've got it connected via USB or via Thunderbolt or anything like that, but um, I've got a blog post about this, but the, the trick to this is you have to mount the Drobo in a different way in order for crash plan to see it. So what I've done, the Drobo FS is again, specifically what I'm talking about. Um, so what I do is I mount my Drobo by a AFP and I, on my, um, my laptop, I use an Apple script to do this because it's sometimes it's at home. Sometimes it's not. And I can just trigger the, the Apple script with launch bar on my Mac mini, which is at, at home and on my network all the time. I use an application that's available in the Mac App Store called Lingon to do this. Um, and I just set it to launch it um, at startup. And then I create a recurring cron event using Lingon that will auto-mount the Drobo every, I think I put it in for every three or four hours, which is just kind of this safety measure that if for whatever reason the network connection gets interrupted or something happens and it falls off, 
and it it doesn't see it, that at least every three or four hours it will it will reconnect it. And that's been great. It's it's pretty much stayed continuously mounted and it's never been a problem. So I use CrashPlan, the free version running on the Mac Mini, and that Mac Mini connected to that Drobo just becomes a huge pot of storage that I can back up as a second backup of um, either my work computer, so I can back up my work computer to my Mac Mini, which is using that that Drobo as storage, um, or I've got other family members that are backing up to it. You know, like my uh, grandfather got a new Mac for his birthday recently, and he doesn't have much data. He's got about a gig and a half worth of um, data, and we've got most of it in Dropbox, but but some of it is photos and things that can't necessarily go in Dropbox. So I just set up CrashPlan to back up his entire home folder, um, and that's coming directly to my Drobo, uh, to my Mac Mini. So. Yeah, I'm. A, I got a little different setup. I've got this um, this iMac with the SSD that I'm constantly. It's just a, a never ending battle for me to keep that thing under the was it two fifty six or whatever my my storage is. And so eventually, I I broke down and bought a Thunderbolt external hard drive, and I bought the Western Digital one. Uh, it's not the fastest rated among them, but it's got a very tiny light and the, the computers in my bedroom. So it's great. It doesn't light up the room at night and it's still wicked fast cause it's Thunderbolt. Uh, so that's the thing that gets backed up to crash plan and, and Katie has turned me into a crash plan user after many years of niggling. Right. It's been a few. I, yeah. But I, I'm in now. It took forever to do the first upload, but now I love it. So that's one more source of backup. And then so the Drobo for me is attached to the network. And that's just kind of like the family pot where we put all sorts of, you know, data on. And a lot of the stuff that's on this computer that's getting backed up is also getting moved down to the Drobo. And then also just because I'm completely insane, I have a two gigabyte USB drive that I plug into that computer like once a month and just copy everything off the Drobo. So I've got stuff backed up six ways to Sunday. Oh, I've, 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 I can one better you on that. Can I make another recommendation for backing up your Drobo? Yeah. Okay. So what I did is, and I love the Drobo because it's, it's redundant storage and you can lose drives and things like that, but it's still a single box, right? I mean, you can have lightning zap the box. I've got it attached to an APC. So hopefully that wouldn't be bad. Somebody can take the box. You can have a flow. I mean, you can have, things can happen to a single box, right? I mean, that's, that's the problem with a single box. So what I did, and I've, I've minimized that risk somewhat because I've got the Drobo in one room and my Mac Mini in the other. So I, got, I went out and bought on Amazon. It was like a gold box deal. I got it for like 100 bucks, a three terabyte hard drive. And again, I found one with a teeny tiny light because it's in my living room. And so I attached this three terabyte USB hard drive. It doesn't have to be fast because it's just my backup drive, right? So I attached this three terabyte USB hard drive, which right now is enough to fit my Drobo. And I figure either, you know, as my, the drives will expand or whatever. And so because my Drobo is mounted via AFP and my Mac mini can see and my Mac mini can see this three terabyte hard drive, I've got carbon copy cloner, which I'm really liking now. I used to be a big super duper fan and I still love that software, but I really like the new version of carbon copy cloner. I think it's once a week, like on Wednesday in the middle of the night, um, super uh, carbon copy cloner uh, pops up and then uh, does a copy of everything that has changed from my Drobo during the week and copies it over to that hard drive. Yeah, you could do that with Chronosync too. Yeah, I did, I did it with Chronosync for a while, yeah. 
That's what I have a Chronosync script when I when I make the backup. And I think when looking at did I say two gigabyte or did I say two terabyte? Because it's a two terabyte. I don't drive, know. Obviously. We know what you meant. Yeah. So, but I just have a Chronosync script that does the same thing, and it it just copies over and it it acknowledges deletions, and it I've had it for years. It's a great little app. Yeah, and that's one of those things. I think Chronosync. If you buy it once, you get free updates or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they say that's one of their selling points is you buy it once and you're never going to get charged again. Yeah. And they still manage to put out good updates and keep the app running. So that's a, that's a, a, a plus. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, there's probably another backup show in 2013 because I don't think we did one in 2012 and this stuff is always changing and people are always interested in it. And I think one of the things we really haven't addressed adequately on the show is backing up iOS data as well, because I know you can do the iCloud backup. That's but very there's other, true. other things you can do with this. I definitely have some ideas and thoughts on it. So, um, if that's of interest to you, write us, let us know, and that'll help us determine how soon we get to it. I, I think that's a good idea. We should do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm voting yes. All right. All right. Well, that's all that matters is your vote. So <laughs> we're doing it. Do we want to talk a little bit more about sharing? And I think that'll wrap us up. See, and I thought this was going to be a short show. I was worried we were going to run out of things to talk they about. They never are. They I know. never are. Yeah, let's talk about sharing an iTunes uh, family account. I got a lot of confused email after I talked about it last and I think I explained it, but probably too quickly. So let me just break it down again. iTunes sharing with a family. So we've got a iTunes account that I've had for years and years before, you know, even, I don't know how long this goes, back to the beginning of iTunes. And, and I've got that account, but we also have individual iCloud accounts for every member of the family. And those are free. You get them when you get a new device. Or I don't think you need to buy a device anymore. You can just go on iCloud and sign up for an account. So David has an account. Daisy has one. Then my two daughters, Sarah and Samantha, each have their own iTunes account. And it has their own email. And so when, whenever we're hooking them into an iPod or a, a Mac or an iPad or whatever, you go into the iTunes, iCloud tab and you put in their iCloud um credentials and then it syncs over their email um their photo stream a bunch of stuff that is specific to one person on iCloud however on iOS devices you can also individually set up the syncing account for iTunes Music and for the App Store and for those I always use that legacy iCloud uh, I'm sorry that legacy iTunes account that I talked about a minute ago so all of us share that legacy account, but we all also independently have our own iCloud account as well. So my daughter, Samantha, can get her email, but she can also buy apps that are through the One Family iTunes account. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Yeah, so that's the trick. You, you really have, there's a fifth account in my family of four, and that's where people get hung up. Sometimes they keep, like, the the dad or the mom or whoever's the, the family nerd will use the one account to buy apps and as their iCloud account. And then they run into trouble because somebody else in the family has their own iCloud account and they want to get the same apps, but they'd have to sign into mom or dad's account and then get mom and dad's email and all the other problems. So you want to have that one extra account. Now, have you given any thought, and I know you're several years away from this, what happens when the kids grow up and leave the house and start their own families? Yeah, well, we talked about this when we did, did we this talk in the show. About this? Yeah. Basically, they just yeah, have I've to got, start over. Well, my oldest is sixteen, and we're talking about college now, and I don't know where she's going to be in a couple of years. And at some point, she's going to want to have her own iTunes account. 
um, the music is is DRM free, which is the biggest thing that she buys is music. And I don't know the legality of all of it, but I mean, the fact is we bought it, <laughs> you know, it's not something that we stole. So I would assume she would just bring that into her library. If she ever broke off into her own iTunes account, the apps that she's on her own, she's going to have to buy them again. Maybe she'll get some iTunes cards for graduation. Yeah. But I mean, and frankly, when you get down to it, I'm, I'm definitely an edge case. I buy a lot of apps because I'm always playing with things that I may want to write about or things I want to see. And, you know, I'm just a, a, a massive geek, but for her, I look at her iPad and there's probably 10 or 15 apps she really uses. So if she had to buy them. She could. All right. Um, we had some feedback from Peter uh, to our sharing show where we talked about sharing a, a Mac with multiple people. And I thought we mentioned this. It was in our, our outline to mention it, but apparently we didn't mention it. Um, and he just points out that one big gotcha of the user home folder that we didn't mention is that any document that's in the root level of the home folder will be visible. Now, read only, mind you, but still visible to any other user of that Mac. So... That's kind of why it's important to put stuff in the documents folder, in the music folder, in the uh, photos folder, you know, in those specific folders. Because if it's just in the root level of your home folder, it's visible to anybody else using that Mac. So I thought I mentioned that. I put it in the outline, but I guess I didn't. Another one we missed was, oops, sorry. Can you hear me? Yep. We are there. Okay. Okay, sorry. I went dark for a minute. Anyway, another thing that we missed in the show about uh, gifts, and I feel kind of bad about this. Someone wrote in and said, hey, how come you didn't talk about charitable gifts? And specifically mentioned the Open Rights Group and the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I mean, if you wanted to do you know, a gift, there's some good charities you could give to. I'm a big fan of uh, Kiva. And this, is like, and this is something I do. I'm going to do it this year, at least my nephews and nieces, my, you know, the kids in my life who are at that age between like five and 15 have, are still really kind of into getting gifts more than giving them, <laughs> you know, uh, I want to kind mm-hmm. of get them sharing and doing some things. And uh, Gene McDonald, who was on our show, turned me on to Kiva a couple of years ago. It's K I V a dot org slash Lind. And it's a, a group where, you can give a gift to somebody and it's an investment and it'll be something like, you know, installing a water pump somewhere in Africa or something. And, but they, they're going to pay you back and it's almost like investing, but at the same time, getting these kids doing some kind of giving. And, uh, I would recommend Kiva if you, uh, if you're listening to this the day before Christmas and you're really stuck, um, that you could do worse than giving somebody a Kiva gift certificate. That's good. Good tip. Because uh, we, we, we talked about a lot of pretty extravagant geek gifts. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. feel a little guilty now, but it was so go. fun. It and, was. and a lot of people liked it, so we're probably going to do it again next year. But yeah. we'll get the charity part in next year. Yeah, too. so so do grab your favorite geek gifts, but then, then, then do think about others. So. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up. We, uh, we managed to go an hour and a half again, almost. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, this is uh, this is uh, our last show before Christmas, so a very Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate, and a Happy Holidays, and uh, to those of you who, who have other celebrations, and um, thank you so much for spending an, an, this time with us and another year with us, and I guess we do have one more show before the end of the year. 
Yeah, we do. But uh, it's it's just a you know you mentioned it's a, it's a good time of the year to sit back and and reflect and uh, it's been a great year for Mac Power users. And when when we started this, I I never would have thought we'd we'd be where we are. And wow, it's just another year. Yeah, I was pretty sure the only person that would listen would be my mom, and then I found out that she never listened to a single show. So Aww. there you go. Well, my mom doesn't <laughs> listen either. No. Either way, everybody uh, have a great holiday. Uh, we will be back next week. We have another show before the end of the year, and it's going to be a good one. Um, yeah, it's going to be all about uh, resolutions, right? Yeah, we've got some some great ideas for setting resolutions with your technology as you move into the new year. There you uh, go. So you can uh, find links to everything that we talked about in this show over at our website at uh, MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Um, and I do want to mention that we are getting ready to revamp that site. That is on my list of things to do over Christmas vacation. So um, if, if you have any thoughts about that or things you would like to see, uh, drop us a line. And, and let us know. Or, or if you have any resolutions or things you think we should do differently with the show next year, um, now's a good time to, to do that as well. And, and you can send those comments to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also contact us through Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah. And uh, thanks to our sponsors for this show, uh, 1Password, Pixelmator, and Omni Group. We certainly couldn't do this without your support. And uh, Merry Christmas, David. You as well, Katie. And we'll see you all next time.